from Celebrations Chocolates. Uh, this has caused a great deal of uh, debate, I know, and this has overtaken a lot of the other important economic discussions that are taking place in the country at the moment, but uh, the world has stopped to discuss this. Apparently, according to surveys from Mars, 40% of people hate the bounty bars. Uh, 18% would be irritated if they just went to their, their box and discovered there were only bounty bars left. And 58% in the survey said this would then lead to a family argument of who's eaten all the good ones and left just bounty bars at the back. But surveys have gone on and subsequent surveys have shown that apparently it's the older people that like bounty bars uh, and it's the young people that are against these. Um, and I'm afraid I'm in the category of people who like bounty bars in uh, the taste of paradise. Uh, that's how they were promoted. So you might say, uh, Mark, why are you talking about this? We're studying Nehemiah. Well, I think that sums up today's reading. And what we should be is a church celebrations with a taste of paradise. Uh, what better way of describing what we should do here on a Sunday than that? Celebrations with a taste of paradise. So the story so far, we know already Nehemiah has been sent by God to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls and the gates. He motivates the people and they succeed in completing the task. It's not easy and they faced lots of challenges on the way, but finally it's done. As part of the celebrations that they have, they rediscover God's word in the scriptures. Remember they had an all-morning sermon on God's law and what they need to learn from then. And they respond wholeheartedly. And today's passage then we see and we join them for a celebratory service. They have a service to dedicate the work on the walls of Jerusalem. And there's a real sense of joyful celebration. And the people coming together to give thanks to God for all that he's done amongst them. And I think we can learn so much as we look at this passage from their day of celebration as we think about our life here as a church. But before we go any further, just let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we unpack it now and think through these things, we pray that you'll speak to us and challenge us in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So three simple things to draw out from you this morning, and you'll be glad to know they all begin with the same letter as you'd expect. Uh, the word, the worship, and the witness. That's where we go, in the word, the worship, and the witness. These key things that we see in their day of celebration here. All of these we see. So we begin with the word. Because if you remember, all of this began with the word of God, with scripture. In chapter 8, we heard about how Ezra read to them the scriptures in that all morning sermon and how it led to them repenting and turning back to God. And that's where everything begins with the word of God, with the Bible. All we do here as the church is rooted and grounded in the Bible. We take it as our authority and we believe it to be the inspired word of God. We're going to look at some of the little details in this. And the first one I want to just draw out to is verse 36, which was that Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. He was the scribe, the one who rediscovered, if you like, and proclaimed the word of God to the people back in chapter 8. He was the one who represented the word, the word of God. And, and when you come to this great celebration, who is at the front? 
Uh, it's Ezra. It doesn't say this in the word. I'm just, I'm just picturing it in my mind. But I could imagine Ezra carrying the scroll in front of him. Uh, he is the scribe. This is his duty. Uh, and he leads the procession. The word of God coming first. As that scribe, he represented and interpreted the scriptures to the people and led the people. Last month when we looked at chapter 8, we reminded ourselves of the centrality of the Bible in all that we do as a church. In 2 Timothy, it says these words, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It all begins here with the Bible. In a few weeks' time in some of our churches, we're going to be using that lovely collect prayer for the second Sunday in Advent, which says, Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Great, isn't it? Hear, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest if it helps you i remember i wrote an article once for aberira and parish magazine about the bible and just for fun i signed it off by three of those authors mark learn ian wardley and digest uh, and i thought will anyone spot this uh, a few people did but great is it important to put the bible here we hear scriptures read mark learn inwardly digest we accept the authority of scripture we use it for our rules for living Use it to set our boundaries. Uh, Many of you know that we have a dog called Caddy. She's been here to to help me in the sermons before now. She's fairly well trained, but not perfect. Uh, None of us are perfect, are we? When it comes to time when we sit down as a family uh, to eat, we just look at Caddy, who's not meant to be in the same room we're eating, for obvious reasons, and we say to her, Kegin, which is Welsh for kitchen. So she goes off and she lies down nicely in the kitchen. We get on with our meal, busy chatting, and the dog starts just creeping in to the kitchen. It's a bit like that game where you turn around to try and spot someone moving. And every time we look at her, she's lying there, not moving, and then we can run a bit for long, and then she creeps a bit further. And we have to say to her, look, Caddy, Noel, get in, get back to the kitchen. And she gets up reluctantly and goes back. And we have to do that sometimes several times. We need to remind her of those boundaries. Our Bible gives us the boundaries and rules of life. And we need to go back to it again and again to remind ourselves of those boundaries. Because we too can be like Caddy. We can push those boundaries. We can start going into places we shouldn't and doing things that we shouldn't. The Bible gives us our authority. It gives us those boundary lines. and We accept its authority. We place ourselves under the authority of the Bible. For the Israelites here, it all started with scripture. That's where it began. When they came to their procession, it was Ezra the scribe leading this. It challenges how are we engaging with the word? Are we studying and reading the Bible regularly, daily? Are we in a life group? Every week in our church notice sheet, we tell you what the reading is and what the reading is for next week with the idea that you've prepared. I wonder how many of you have read this passage in Nehemiah before coming here. I know Sean must have done to practice those names. But how many of you came prepared already thinking and praying about what we're going to be thinking about in church this morning? It's a challenge. 
as a church. Why are we here today? It's the same reason as the Israelites came together. Firstly, the word. Secondly, the worship we see here. It began with the word. Secondly, it's the worship. We're here today to give our worship to God, to give him glory, to thank him for all of his blessings, and to celebrate all that we are in him. It's an amazing day of celebration here in in this passage. Verse 43. On that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. A day of great rejoicing. Where are we today? Are we rejoicing? This for the Israelites was a, a, a great day. It was an inclusive day of worship. Everyone took part. The whole families together. Not just the men off doing their thing. The women, the children, the whole families were there together. Everyone in that city came together to take part. But it was diverse too, wasn't it? I love the fact that there were two choirs. Uh, One was sent off clockwise around the city and the other one had to go anti-clockwise around the city. Half the people would follow one choir, singing with them and joining celebrations, and the other half of the people went to follow the other. Uh, We read later that it's actually one person who trained both choirs up. But I just wonder, and this is just me again wondering, I wonder if the worship songs were different. I wonder if one choir were singing some early Graham Kendrick make-way songs going one way, while the other one was a bit more Rend Collective. And and people could choose which one they wanted to to join in with. I love being part of a church that has a variety of worship styles. We use liturgy, traditional hymns, more modern songs, freestyle worship, trying to be inclusive, to include everybody. Maybe you don't like it all. But in love, we accept that mixture because the very song that we hate that drives us mad may really speak to somebody else who's here today. We're a church of the word. We're a church called to worship and to worship together. And these two choirs may be doing their different things. They came together at the end and went into the temple together to sing their praises to God. And if it helps us as a worshipping church, I just want to look at the... The passage of one of those choirs we're going to draw out, because I love the detail in this passage, and to see how it reminds us of how we worship together as a church. So we're going to look at verses 31 and 37. I'm going to be a coward and chicken out of reading out all those names. So at verse 31, I had the leaders of Judah go up onto the wall. I also signed two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the Dungate. And then we skip to verse 37. At the fountain gate, they continue directly up the steps of the city of David and on the ascent to the wall and pass above the sites of David Palace to the water gate on the east. The journey around the walls of one of those choirs. And that mirrors what we do here as a church. Where did they start? It said, not very exciting, it said they started at the dung gate. That's where this, this, this great celebration began, began at the Dung Gate. What was this? This was the, the gate, so-called, because this was where all the rubbish went out of the city. The people in Jerusalem would load rubbish onto carts, all the stuff they wanted to get rid of. It would go out into the Kidron Valley, and it would be burnt there. There was a big fire there, and they got rid of things there. When we come together as a church, we start in the very same place. We start our service with confession. Because we realize we've got rubbish to be removed too. Stuff to clear out. Stuff 
that's not good. Things we haven't done and ought to have done. We don't measure up to God's perfect standards and we begin with confession. We begin like they did at the Dungate, getting rid of the stuff, asking God to forgive us. And that's where they went. Where did they go next? Verse 37, the next stopped at the fountain gate. What a symbol of cleansing that is. It's an old-fashioned word we use it in our service called the absolution, which is where the service leader reminds the people that God has forgiven them. We begin with our confession, and then there's that great cleansing. God forgives us, and we are clean. And to the people here, they would have seen that, that image as they begin at this Dungate where they get rid of all of their rubbish. I wonder if they stop for a confession then move on to that fountain gate, a symbol of being washed. The book of Isaiah, come now, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Because they didn't stop at the Dungate, they moved on to the fountain. And forgiveness is possible. For all of us, whatever we've done. William Cooper wrote that great hymn, didn't he? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. This is how they began their journey as a choir, how we begin as a church, a confession, a cleansing. And now the people moved on onwards and upwards where did they go next? They had to go up some steps. Part of the wall there, there were some steps, big steep steps to the city of, um, city of David. They were called the steps of the city of David. They were now ready, having done the confession, been forgiven. They were now ready to enter into the presence of God. They're climbing up. It might be hard work. And sometimes worship doesn't come to us easily. Sometimes we have to work hard to concentrate, to put to the back of our mind all the stuff that's going on in our mind and to concentrate when we come to church on God, to give God our worship. But that's what we're here for. That's the purpose of our lives. The lovely Westminster Catechism starts with that declaration, doesn't it? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We come together to worship today confession a cleansing a climbing where does it go next this one choir they finish their journey around before they meet up with the other choir at the water gate and you remember it was in front of the water gate that they gathered first to hear ezra the scribe read the law in chapter eight and the water gate was near the gihon spring with the distribution points for water for the whole city this is where the people would go for their water their source of fresh water and what a metaphor that is, water being a symbol of Jesus himself, the living water. In chapter 7 of John's Gospel, we read, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This water gate, where the people went to get water, this, what a great symbol that is of where we come into worship, into the presence of Christ himself. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty, but everyone who drinks the water I give them will never 
thirst. The water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So it's great, isn't it? We can learn all that from this, this procession of the people here, from the dung gate to the fountain gate, the steps up, the water gate. Mirrors very much what we do here, the confession, the cleansing, the climbing, and then Christ himself. We're nearly there. That's our church. That's the people here. The word, the worship. But there's one more key thing that we can learn from here, which is the witness that went on here. Because this celebratory service wasn't something, it wasn't something you could keep quiet about, was it? You've got choirs marching aloud on the top of the wall. You've got crowds of people singing and praising. Uh, you've got all of the, the trumpets, the harps, the instruments that are mentioned, this made a fair old noise. Verse 43, on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This was praise which declared to the world who God is. It wasn't just for the people there inside the city. They didn't do this inside the walls. They went out on top of the walls to be seen and heard by all of the peoples far, far away and all those around. They were declaring to the world who God is and all that God had done. Are we ready to do the same? Are we excited about coming here to worship today? Ready to tell the world how great our God is? Ready to proclaim what Jesus has done for us? This week, when you go to work, when you meet people, I wonder what you'll say when people say, well, what did you do at the weekend? Will you say, oh, well, I watched some fireworks on Saturday night and then I went to church on Sunday and, I, uh, and then I, I relaxed for the afternoon? Or will you get excited about all that's happened? Will you say, I had a great time on Sunday. I spent time in the presence of my heavenly father, the creator of the universe, had a fantastic time celebrating with others in St. Michael's Church, all that he has done for me. Wouldn't you like to come with me next week? What about that as a response? We're called to bear witness to the world around. We are here to praise God, yes. We are here, though, also to declare to the world around how great God is. And we've got so much to give thanks for. That's what these people did. They stood on top of the walls and shouted and praised their God. Everybody knew it. There was a world that needed to hear about God. And we've got so much to give thanks for, haven't we? Again, it's not in the passage here, but it is something I, I imagined happening of Nehemiah being here in the middle of it all, looking at all of his walls around that he'd got people to build and, and thinking, ah, it's finished. It's all over. We've finished the great work and now we've done the dedication service. And then I thought, those words, it is finished. And they reminded me. They reminded me of another, it is finished in scripture. The words of Jesus on the cross having paid the price for our sins, opening the way for us to be forgiven and have that relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is finished. We have so much to give thanks to God for. So much more than these Israelites here who were just celebrating the completion of the walls and what God had done for them there. 
we have so great a celebration here. Shortly we're going to be breaking bread as part of our communion service to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection for us. So these people here, so much, so much to learn. The word, the worship, the witness, a challenge for us as a church community here. And there's lots more, lots more still to go. I sat down initially to draft out this sermon down in Falderbrennan, a lovely retreat centre earlier on last week. And while I was busy jotting things down, some children came into the room with their family and their parents said, oh, sorry to disturb you, is it okay? And I said, oh, yes, come in, come in, and your children come in and play. And the children got out a jigsaw uh, with their parents and sat at the table, started doing it. And one of the little boys was quite young, and his dad was teaching him how to do a jigsaw. They did, firstly, obviously, the corners, and then he taught them how to look for the edge pieces. And then they'd done the edge pieces. And then the dad said to them, now we've completed the outside edge. Now the real work begins. And Nehemiah here and the people of Israel here, they'd completed the outside edge. The walls were done, but there was so much for them still to learn as a community. And we'll see. There's more to come in the story of Nehemiah. Come back next week to find out what happens next and how they have to learn to move on once they've done the outside edges. So as a church, let's remember the word, the worship, and the witness and make those priorities for us here as a church community. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this great example in Scripture here of the Israelites celebrating all that you had done for them. And we thank you for all that you have done for us. We just pray that you will help us understand that, to take it in, and to remember to give you thanks for that great work of salvation, that great price that Jesus paid for us. So accept our thanks and praise this morning. Amen.